Computer, initialize Holosuite. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 18, Rules of Engagement. But before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are great, we are awesome, we are a good time. And we will talk about a lot of things besides just Star Trek Deep Space Nine, even though that will be our primary focus. Things like The Expanse, both the book series and the TV series, and other things that are just generally, you know, sci-fi or Trek in nature. Um, Like, for example... Strange New Worlds, one of the new Star Trek shows that's out that is absolutely hitting it out of the park every single episode this season, which is only season two of the show. You're going to hear me pretty much fanboy out about all of that really, really soon. (laughs) So I will try to rein it in as best I can, but I'm just letting you know it's happening. So be prepared for it. Um, But now before we get into all that, as always, I'd like to check in uh, with David because we haven't really spoken since last week. So, David, how has your week been going? <laughs> uh, it's fine. Work was better this week, more sales than previous weeks, which is good because it would get a little frustrating. Like, what's going on? Um, that's good. Um, I finished another I, – I cycle through books, and so I just finished a, another biography of one of the founding fathers, and that means that I'm now – on the Expanse, book four. Okay. So I'm about two hundred some pages in. I got to, I knocked out a hundred pages while I was waiting for my car to get uh, the oil inspection or the the oil uh, change to be done. But they it was a my car's mileage was sixty thousand, so it's another one of those bigger checkup things. So they had other things to do, like do the brakes and other things. And I'm supposed to go back to do some more work. But I knocked out 100 pages while I was waiting for like four hours. So um, so this is David you, actually putting me on notice because he's not letting me know. I was about to say, I don't know where you're he at, is, so I don't know. Like, yes, he is letting me know because <laughs> I had a great head start on reading the book before because he had other things he was doing. And so gave me an opportunity to kind of get ahead of him a bit because there's – I, as much as I swear that I'm I'm not doing a lot, apparently I do just enough that keeps me from being able to like dial in on a couple of things. So reading, being able to sit and just have dedicated time to read is difficult at times. <laughs> um, so yeah, he I had a great head start. He's letting me know he's hard on my heels here. Um, <laughs> I just recently was in, I have to go back and check, I think chapter 23, I want to say. Um, maybe a little bit further than that. I think that's the last time I actually paid attention to a chapter number because for a while there I was just reading it. So I might just I might be more further ahead than that. Um, so but I'll, yeah. I'll 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 just tell you where I'm at. Just you'll probably know where I'm at. Naomi just got caught trying to sabotage. Okay. Some of the baddies. Okay. So yeah, that and so you, that's you yeah, and that's kind of what I was alluding to last week when I was saying there are some things that Na- Naomi does that makes me like. Uh, you know, she, she, I liked her from the show, and now I was like, mm, you're, you're doing things. <laughs> so, so yeah, okay, all right. So we're not going to talk about that now. Actually, that's going to be. I can I can totally like go to something else and come back if I need to come back. No, no, no. If you we're gonna yeah. we're gonna uh, I'm gonna see. We, you know, my plan was for us to kind of make this a part of what we're going to be doing for our hundredth episode because we're coming up on ah, our hundredth. So that should be plenty of time for us to get through and, and prepare and, and so forth. Good. So, yeah. So if you're interested in the uh, Expanse book series by James Corey, you should definitely uh, pick those up, read them, uh, tune in for all that kind of breakdown stuff we're going to do. We do a lot of where we're not just talking about the books, but we're doing a direct comparison to the show as well. Um, so and, and if you want to watch the show, if you haven't watched it yet, it's on uh, Amazon. So Amazon. go. Yeah. Go watch it. 
it's it's great. I still go back to it. Now, even I mean, reading the books really helps me to make me want to go back and and watch it again. Yeah. But there, yeah. there's still some stuff in the show that's just it's it's great to see and it's very compelling. And the more I watch it, especially the more I rewatch it, the more I realize how well done that show is. You yeah. know, and um, it's just so rare to see, especially for uh, like a sci-fi show of like this day and age, because a lot of times now, like. I can't even think of another mainstream sci-fi show that's even on right now, you know, and I'm normally pretty good. I mean, besides Star Trek, of course, but I'm just saying something else besides Star Trek that's out. There's really not anything. And then a not lot of the sort. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. not of the, yeah, not of this type. And then like the few other things that I guess you could consider sci-fi. They're so like, they lose themselves in trying to convey some kind of message or make some kind of, pseudo political statement or whatever that your interest in the show is minimal it's like unless you wanted to sit here and be lectured to every day i don't think that you're really going to want to to watch them so um yeah i just i don't find that interesting um yeah but anyway um i think that's enough (laughs) of all that again tune in to our hundredth episode this is our 90 sixth i think 95th 96th episode so it's not that far away and um yeah we're gonna we're not only gonna talk deep space nine and looking back and all that stuff but there's gonna be a lot of things we're gonna do so get on board and come join us and we're gonna have a a great time promise right now as for me my week i'll sum it up for you real quick i worked out i helped out family and i worked there done (laughs) summarized summarized done <laughs> uh that that's it uh there just really wasn't a lot that changed this week from last week i've been making pretty good progress with the workouts which again is something i intend to talk about when we get to our hundredth kind of giving like an update and also kind of revealing where if you are interested in any of the workouts that i have done there'll be a place where i've been posting all these things kind of silently where you can go and check those out and if you're interested in like kind of getting jump started on workouts how to do that, where to, you know, kind of get information and inspiration. I'm going to put all that stuff out for the hundredth episode. I was trying to do a little bit sooner than that, but it's just, it was too much. It was too much to do so soon. So saving it for that. All right. Gotcha. But of course, as always, I like to say, we are not here for all that. We are here to dive into rules of engagement. The what? 88. Well, 18th of this season. 18th of this season. 88th overall, I believe, of Deep Space Nine. Uh, 90th, according to 90th. Media. I thought it was, okay. Uh, okay. Bar Association was 88. So. Okay. Maybe that's what it was. I was, just, I was thinking about that one because we did it not too long ago. But anyway, yeah. um, great episode featuring both Worf and Cisco. First time we've really seen them paired up this way. Um, and really kind of paired up in general, because I think about the last time that we saw them, it was more the introduction of Worf to Deep Space Nine, not them having to work together for anything. Right. But, um, David, would you like to give the recap or would you like me to do it? Oh, I mean, I feel like this is a you one for sure. I agree. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Go for it. I wasn't going to say anything. All right. So, um... (laughs) Yeah, just real quick, we're going to just do the highlights because there's a lot to talk about here and what we want to really get into with the show. Um, basically, this one starts with Worf kind of in a dazed dream state. He's on the um, Defiant and he's kind of running through corridors and uh, it, it's clear they've been attacked or something. But, you know, you're seeing smattering of Starfleet officers, but then you start to see like a lot of like Klingon, Klingons around, Klingon children and and Klingon warriors and and all kinds of disjointed imagery, um, which ends up with Worf waking up in a holding cell with Odo watching over him. Uh, we right. t- find out that Worf has been arrested for murder, basically. And uh, it turns out that what's happened is uh, Worf was put in command of the Defiant for an escort mission with the Cardassians. They were escorting a Cardassian convoy and they knew that the Klingons were going to be in the area. The Klingons were going to potentially be attacking them. And that's what they were providing the escort service. Um, the route that they were going to be taking was fairly close to some civilian commercial passenger lanes that are used, basically. And uh, at some point during uh, one of the 
battles, a, a Klingon civilian ship wandered into the foray and decloaked directly in front of the Defiant and Worf fired upon and subsequently destroyed the vessel. 441 people on board, all killed, all civilians and in various walks of life, you know, soldiers, shopkeepers, so forth and so on. So now our uh, favorite Klingon is on trial and a new Klingon has popped up to basically um, request extradition of Worf to the Klingon homeworld where he would face uh, judgment and uh, punishment. And his name is uh, Chipok, I believe. And um, there is a Vulcan uh, admiral who has come to the station who is going to uh, sit over the extradition proceedings and Cisco has to argue for uh, Worf to stay. And right. so it looks like it's a pretty open and shut case. Worf did fire upon the ship. These people did die. Uh, Worf didn't precisely follow procedure because it's like there was a moment where he should have scanned the vessel and seen what was going on, what was what before he opened fire. But instead, he chose to protect his ship and crew and fired right. first. Um, right. So this is not necessarily... Uh, uh, a major issue, but it is in the sense that all these these civilians died, and it's going to um, be a big coup for the Klingons on the political scene, something that they haven't really been able to do in a long time, if they can score right. some major political points against the Federation by bringing Worf down. So that's really their kind right. of interest in going with this. We see several people who were on the Defiant during the time um, or, or were associated with Worf around this mission in general give their testimony to Worf's state of mind and to his his decisions and things that he did and didn't do and what they would have done in his place. It's an interesting way they shot it because a lot of it is done in this weird kind of fourth wall breaking perspective where they're talking directly to us while they're giving their testimony. Um, some of it's kind of funny, like when Cork can't remember who's at the bar and talking to whom and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, great little <laughs> moments like that interject a little humor into something that's very serious. Um, right. But even then, with all that information that's coming out, it still looks like Worf's pretty guilty. Until Odo, who's been investigating all of this at Cisco's behest, comes across a rather peculiar um, bit of information about the 441 people who died. Cisco then takes this to the Admiral, whose name is Talara, um, to present the information. And basically, we discovered that these 441 people were on another ship several months ago that supposedly crashed in the mountains of some obscure system somewhere and apparently miraculously, miraculously survived long enough to, several weeks later, take another civilian trip uh, and get blown up by Worf. All the same people. Same crew, everybody, exact same stuff, but didn't die the first time, but now they died at Worf's hands. Wow, so now we, what a coincidence. Yes. <laughs> so now Cisco kind of lays it out that this is clearly a conspiracy, an oh. eloquent uh, plot put together by the um, Klingon High Command, uh, basically, to bring Worf down. That this was a way of them not only scoring points against the Federation, but to also, you know, kind of yeah, attack Worf. He's the only Klingon right. in Starfleet. What better way to really kind of knock at Starfleet's principles of inclusion and so forth if this one lone Klingon is out here just murdering people? And they really tried to make it seem like Worf had a grudge against the Klingon Empire for his mistreatment, which to a certain degree, he kind of admits that he does. Right. Um, but with the revelation, uh, the revelation of the uh, information about the crew and the double death and so forth, uh, the extradition case is dismissed. Worf is going to stay. Worf is going to uh, stay in Starfleet, and then he has to deal with the kind of the other fallout. Basically, recognizing he should have taken the mission in the first place because he was clearly still affected by um, his status with the uh, Klingon. Uh, empire and right. that um he should have double checked before he opened fire and cisco right. gives him a very important lesson about what it means to not just be a starfleet officer but how to be a captain and he right. tells Worf, you know you're going to make a hell of a captain someday first time anybody's ever really said that to our 
favorite Klingon here. Um, and again, <laughs> great scenes that we're going to talk about. Right. But that's it. That's essentially the episode. Uh, great episode. You should go watch it. All these episodes are on Paramount or Paramount Plus, whichever one you've got. Um, you should go and watch them. Right. But what do you think? Did I get it all? Did I hit the essentials? Oh, the essentials for sure. We got a lot of details to hit up. But this one does summarize nicely, um, as you've just done for us. So, yeah. All right. So, to that end, I'm going to ask you, as I like to, of course, first thoughts, first impressions. Since So, for those of you who are just kind of new to our show, I have watched every bit of Star Trek many, 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 many times. David, on the other hand, is new to a lot of Trek, and in particular, new to Deep Space Nine. So, this is his first run through right. of everything, and I'm so freaking jealous. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us, what did you think? First impressions of this episode. Um, my first impressions were, um, I feel like the scope of the trial is off. I feel like it should be bigger. I mean, it's supposed to be private. You know, it's not supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be something. But let me just quickly say this. I watched the episode last night, and for whatever reason, like, scenes from a, um, a Few Good Men or up on my YouTube, you know, scroll. And so I watched some clips from that. And that, as people will remember, is the Tom Cruise movie uh, where, you know, you know, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You know, classic courtroom drama. Um, and I feel like this one, just in comparison, like it, it's, it's having to go up against something like that in my mind. Now, I want to be very clear. The standout of this episode is hands down ron canada as uh the uh klingon um chipok yeah council defense uh council chipok he steals this entire episode he is he is on a like a, a rampage just stealing this whole episode um he is charismatic he is forceful um he's knows what he wants he's he's the perfect lawyer he knows the answer to his questions before he asks them uh for example um, he wants to present evidence from Quark's diary, I think is what it is. Quark's personal every, log, I believe. Yeah, and everyone's like, well, how the hell did you get that information? And he's like, does it matter? Worf, do you have any objections to me entering this into the record? Knowing that Worf's pride, and, and I have nothing to hide, will allow him to uh, pass it on, even though Cisco is like, don't let him. Um, he gets Worf to attack him during the trial, you know, I'll never attack an unarmed person, and then he basically starts insulting him to the point where he does attack, uh, Worf does attack him, and yeah, it's great, like, this character is fantastic, would love to see more of him, I doubt we will, unfortunately, but, um, Well, I will tell you that Mr. Canada is no stranger to Star Trek, he has appeared in a couple of other, uh, episodes of... Various Trek shows. In fact, he was right. in the um, Star Trek Next Generation episode, The Masterpiece Society. That's the one where they discovered the humans who were living under that dome and everybody had been genetically engineered to be perfect for whatever role it was they had in society yeah. at the time. And right. Jordy being blind is the one that ultimately solves their society's calamitous issue or whatever. Right. And then he was also in an episode of uh, Star Trek Voyager in which okay. he um, he played a Malon, which is this group of aliens that basically are like, their society is like a bunch of garbage men. And they take out the right. wastes that their society builds up and they dump them in various areas of deep space, uh, much to okay. the detriment of some of the other races that may live in those areas. So, um, yeah, he he was uh, there. So if you are interested in seeing more of his work in Trek, look for him on Voyager, look for him in Next Generation, and you will certainly okay. find him. Well, yeah. Well, certainly here as this lawyer, he's great. Uh, steals the scenes, he's in. Um, and but the reason I bring up the, the few, A Few Good Men is like, Dax and O'Brien on the stand, I feel like they should be more professional. <laughs> A little bit like Dax being all like flabbergasted 
by like these questions and 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 not holding her poker face and O'Brien also being like, well, I don't know, I wasn't in charge. Like, well, I feel like O'Brien did better than Jadzia in her yeah. in their respective scenes, only because I think they were trying to highlight that Jadzia was more flustered with a potential budding attraction. And that so maybe that was what her issue was with being able to talk about Worf and her esteem for him and and so forth versus O'Brien being like, um, you know, he says, I stand by his decision and I fully support him. Right. It's like, I I wouldn't have made that decision, but I wasn't in command. He's trying to establish there's a separation between, you know, when you're in those in those particular moments, what you would do, you, you never would know. Um, right. And, and I well, think that's the thing that uh, Chip Park was trying to like browbeat him about a little bit. Well, the thing about O'Brien and I, I want to be very clear. The episode does address this. O'Brien is not a commanding officer. He's not an officer at all. So to ask a non or a, he's a non-commissioned, non-commissioned officer. Yeah. He's a non Yeah. Yeah. To ask one of those guys, what would you have done in command? I felt like, he can just always go to, I'm not trained for command. I, I have no, but the episode does address that. He has the, the, the Klingon council. I forget his name at the moment. He says, you've been in like 235 combat uh, scenarios. I want you declared as an expert in terms of combat and you object. And so like they, they, they make it clear that O'Brien having been in a lot of combat situations should know what to do or how things are supposed to go. Um, mm-hmm. My whole point, though, is is that um, I feel like I just I just feel like everyone was just just like falling over like dominoes in front of this defense council. Like they are. I mean, that's the point, though. We're trying yes, to set that up was the that point. Worf, the wharf is in a dire situation. It's only at the very end that Odo brings out the ace in the hole and saves the day. Um, but yeah, I, I want to be also clear. This is also the the thing that this Klingon guy wants. Is not to even prove that he's guilty, but to prove that he is a Klingon at heart. Right. And that he deserves to be judged by other Klingons for his actions and not necessarily in the Federation. Uh, he wants to move beyond just facts and of the details of the case to what does Worf believe in his inner person. Um, because it becomes clear through what we hear from Quark and the others that um, Worf did have a desire for vengeance against Klingons for the way they treated him. Uh, He wanted to prove himself and he was raring to go for a battle. That doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. prove that he was wrong in his actions. And in fact, I don't, I think Cisco being all like, you were wrong to do what you did. I'm like, come on, Cisco, really? You going to chew him out at the end of the episode? So we're going to get to that because I, I think that Cisco was right because we right. have to well, – I... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just want to say that I my understanding of the Kobayashi Maru scenario is exactly like this. Yes. So I get it. The Kobayashi Maru is exact same. You are you have a civilian vessel in need. You go to help it out. Uh, bir- is it birds of prey or is it just some cloaked vessel of some no, kind? No, they're Klingon. In the, in the simulation, it's Klingons. Klingon birds yeah, of prey. They they appear and they start attacking and the whole scenario is, you know, lose lose, there's no way to really win. What do you do? Uh, and that's basically the scenario that's almost exactly presented to Worf in this scenario. And he makes a intelligent decision. He he's reading where the, the tachyon surges are, whatever the particles are that show where a cl- a cloaked ship is, and they've been seeing how they've been doing the attack patterns, and so he makes a preemptive strike. And it just so happens that that's also where this fake cloaked vessel is, and that's where we get everything going on. So I feel like I'm on Worf's side here. I'm like, he was making a wise decision. There's He's one ship versus two. He has to defend civilian vessels. It's mm-hmm. not his fault that there are civilian lanes nearby from Klingons. You know, they... It, 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 it felt a little too... You know, like oh, it, it was just the right scenario okay. for Worf to screw this up. But you say Cisco's I'm, right. Go for it. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, Go for it. So you're right. This is basically Worf's Kobayashi Maru, and the point of the Kobayashi Maru test, at least as I understand it, is to get 
the commanding officer to basically be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. You, as a right. Starfleet officer, your job is ultimately to lay down your life to protect the greater innocent, greater good, whatever that is, right? So making a pragmatic or military decision is incorrect uh, in comparison to how they're trained as Starfleet officers. Another thing we have to keep in mind is that Starfleet is also trained to not fire first. They do not start fights. They are more than willing to defend themselves, yes, but they are not the first strike type. This is something that has come up again and again in Trek all the way back to, to its inception and something that has come up in, uh, especially here in recent Trek with shows like Star Trek Discovery where um, our uh, hero character, Michael Burnham, in the first episode does commit a first strike offense against the um, Klingons, which, while correct, is against Starfleet protocol and also sparks a war. So it's there's a lot of this whole we Starfleet does not fire first. We do not attack first. So Worf being a Klingon in command who is now striking first in the situation um, is at the heart of the issue. And again, as uh, Chipak was saying, that's because Worf is a Klingon. No matter how far away he tries to remove himself from the Klingon Empire and wears you know the Federation's uniform and and so forth. He is a Klingon at heart, and only a true Klingon will understand this, and therefore only a true Klingon can judge him. Um, right. It's interesting because, as they have noted throughout the whole episode, Worf's whole position is that he's clearly upset about his treatment at the hands of other Klingons. He sided right. against Galron. Gowron's treatment of his lands and titles and so forth. His brother was his rejected brother, from the right brother yeah. rejected from um, Klingon society again. Effectively killed his his brother because of it. And now Alexander, as Worf's son, uh, must bear the stigma of being the son of a traitor and a coward and so forth. And this is all because and Worf is feeling, uh, especially as a Klingon who understands the rituals and the those kind of cultural significance of those titles and, and things like that to be labeled a coward and a traitor. Remember, we had seen Worf in the past fight against this for his family before. You know, the Duras family trying to heap a whole bunch of crazy nonsense onto the uh, Moog family. You know, right. Worf has stood against this for decades now. We've watched him fight this, and now right. here he is having to still deal with it, and he's been completely kicked out of one culture, and all he has left is the Federation, and now here comes the Klingon uh, Empire once again, trying to take that from him. So right. he's very much a his back is against the wall here. And when Cisco comes to him at the end, and he's like, "Yeah, I realized that I had something to prove," and it wasn't that he had something to prove to Starfleet; he had something to prove to the other Klingons. He wanted them to yeah. know that even though they had done all of this stuff to him, he was still Klingon. So he still felt that bloodlust. He still felt that desire to fight and and be a warrior. And he even says that, you know, I, I, in the trials, it's, I am a Klingon. I am bred to battle, you know? Right. Um. So yeah, he's he knew all of this going in. And so it gave him, you know, it, it colored his mindset. And he recognized that because he was still feeling so put out, he should not have taken the mission where he could have potentially run into Klingons that he would have to fight. Just like when they removed Captain Picard from uh, fighting the Borg again, when the Borg reared their head in the movie First Contact, the newly christened Enterprise-E was way out near the Romulan neutral zone, not doing anything with the Borg. Because they were like, yeah, you're too close to this. We don't want to introduce an unstable element into <laughs> our, our war here. He eventually goes anyway, and he is an unstable element. He he loses it. So Starfleet has um, knowledge. I, uh, um, I, I haven't watched that one yet. So, so oh, no, no, um, no spoilers. <laughs> sorry. I uh, totally forgot. Totally I've forgot. I've seen Generations, not First Contact. Uh, great movie. <laughs> Obviously. Great I look movie. forward to it. I look forward to it. <laughs> so, well, I mean, we're already there. Spoilers. Sorry. I, I yeah. will just say that basically 
Starfleet knows what it's doing here. It knows the people who have suffered traumatic events at the hands of particular, you know, cultures or entities or whatever probably shouldn't be right. put back into a situation where they need to face them again. Worf right. has, you know, he's kind of fly, flying under the radar here because he comes off as so austerely stoic, you know, that no one thinks that anything is really ruffling him. But really, he's he's quite upset. His brother is dead. His his land and titles, his family is cast down in disgrace. Like, all this stuff. Of course the man is upset. Right. And so when Cisco comes after him and he's just like, yeah, you never should have gone on this mission. And you know that. Uh, right. So, yes, I feel like Cisco was absolutely justified in coming after Worf a little bit there and just kind of trying to not chastise him so much as as make him learn a valuable lesson here so that in the future right. he can recognize this about himself and not right. put himself in another similar situation. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just – I guess for me part of what was kind of frustrating about this episode – is feeling like Worf, I hope this truly is a turning point for Worf, because oh. like the moment where, I'll just pull up the guy's name, because i got to say it correctly, uh, Chapak. When Ch- Chapak is doing the whole thing about, can I in, can I put this into the record, even though I, don't, I didn't obtain this legally, I'm challenging your pride, I have nothing to hide. Um, be smart, bro. Like, this man is playing you hard, and, and instead of this sense of honor, which we appreciate about you, take your sense of honor and marry it to some wisdom, to some smarts, some like, you know, no, I'm not playing your game here. I, uh, I know there's something up with this whole situation. I mean, really, how does a civilian ship decloak while charging at the Defiant? I mean, when we see the scene where it decloaks, mm-hmm. it's coming at the Defiant. Like, how the heck did that happen? I can see it decloaking off your starboard bow and you turning the ship and firing being a mistake. But if something's coming at you while you're in the middle of a firefight, that's why I feel like Warp is being done dirty here, even what? by Cisco a little bit, because it's like, no, it was a good fire. <laughs> it was a good fire. Well, I, I, think he fired I will also fair. say that the same... The I, I feel like Warp was definitely set up here because... What Worf notices is the 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 firing pattern that they're using, where they kind of do these strafing runs and come in, you know, blast them with a few volleys of phaser fire or whatever, and then they would cloak and disappear. And they're kind of like right. circling around the Defiant, decloaking on one side, firing, and then cloaking, and then coming back on the other side, firing and cloaking and, and so forth. So I think what he was noticing was that's what was happening. So they were decloaking on one side to re, you know, to fire, recloaking on the other right. side to hide themselves, and that's why right. he spun the ship 180 so that he could catch right. them when they were going to decloak again and potentially fire. But he noticed it. I believe the Klingons did it on purpose because they knew that eventually he would catch on, and that's why the ship was positioned so perfectly that when they wheeled around and immediately fired, the ship was at point-blank range. There was no right. missing that ship at all. Right. There were no yeah. strafing runs at ever. It took the full brunt of that salvo from the Defiant and blew up. Right. Yeah, it's clear that he was set up. I guess my again my point is is like they did a great job setting him up. Like, oh yeah, they, they did an excellent job, excellent job yeah. of setting him up. There was like no yeah. question. It wasn't a stray uh, photon torpedo that went around or through another ship they were firing at and hit the errant convoy. Or whatever. No, no, no. It was right. oh yeah, you got all of this ship in yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess I, I it's it was an interesting. Um, episode for that reason. Again, this is another episode where it's like, what would a two-parter look like? Like, what if Worf had lost this case? You know, I was... I agree with you there. I would have loved to see this where Worf lost and they were yes. extraditing him. Yes. And then the information or whatever came in last minute and now they have to go right. and get him before he crosses into Klingon territory where right. he would have been yeah, summarily executed. It'd have been a great cliffhanger if Odo shows up during the final minutes of the show of the episode. And he's like, "I figured it out, but it's too late. You know, the ruling's been done. He's in custody. He's already uh, on the way out. He's and, already. I, I would love. Um, he's already on the ship. Ship's already yeah. uh, uh, 
undocked yeah, like or whatever you call thing, it. Well, the yeah. last thing we see is the ship, you know, blinking Just out. going into warp. warp. Yeah, it goes, as it goes to warp and takes off. And then here comes because, Odo. Yeah. Yeah, because what's great is Chapak says when he sits down with Cisco at one point, he, you know, they're having a, uh, like a recess or, no, they're, it's in the middle. It's right before Worf is being called up. Uh, Worf is going to be called up to testify for himself. And Cisco's in, I don't think he's in Quarks, actually, but the other, uh, Chapak comes up, sits down. They talk, and um, he says, "I want to. I will. I want you to concede because I want to defend Worf at the at the Kling, in the Klingon Empire. Like he doesn't care about winning or losing. He cares about the fight, um, which is great, another great Klingon thing. It's like, of course, right, Klingons again, want the fight. He's he ready for a fight. He's, he's ready for yeah. the fight. That, just like what Worf was saying, yeah. he lives to fight. He lives for the battle." So he's like, I, yeah. you know, and yeah, he comes to uh, Cisco. He's like, yeah, you go ahead. You concede. You've already lost here. Right. I will take Worf and then we will go to the next battle and I will fight for him there too because I'm ready right. for this. I want to keep doing this. Like, and yeah, that's part his of whole the reason thing. I want that is I want to see Klingon justice. We've seen versions of it. We've seen how they we do have. the High Council stuff. But I want to see a, a true on trial. How much of it is just a pull out your batleth and whoever wins, wins? How much of it well, is a trial well i mean if you watched if you watch star trek enterprise you get one so uh <laughs> i'm sure you know. i'm sure there are definitely some and then uh, and then there's also this the movie um star trek i think it's six the undiscovered country captain kirk yeah. and dr mccoy are put on trial there and so and it's a klingon trial and so you get gotcha. to watch uh that as well that was actually the first time we ever saw a klingon trial um nice. quite interesting um and that's a great okay. movie by the way that's probably one of the best ones uh, of the six that they do god six movies jesus um yeah. but yeah that's one of the one of the highlights of that movie gotcha okay um point being though is like if this had been a two-parter another great chance for a two-part episode um yeah, and I again, I want Worf to have his time with the Klingons, and maybe we'll get that. You know, we still got three more seasons after this, so I'm sure there's time for us to address this storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, this is an interesting episode. I, 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 I wish like the idea that Cisco is his main counsel, and yet he has to testify on behalf of his own, you know, subordinate officer. I feel like that's an, an example of where it gets a little bit silly. Like, wh- well, why isn't there counsel for Worf outside of, you know, I, 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 to be clear, I know that in, in TNG we had similar situations. Yeah, that's like, that's pretty much a, that's a standard Trek go-to is the officers, right. the senior officers, and, wherever they are, are also having to serve as legal counsel for whomever. And to be clear... Yeah. If we brought in another character and that character was going up against Chapak, then it would be them two having the conflict over trial stuff as opposed to Worf and Cisco and the others having to fight on his behalf. So I'm not saying that – I mean it makes sense for the storytelling, but it, it also doesn't quite jive with reality, at least how I expect it to go. But anyway, um, the – the trial stories are always fun. You know, the, the, the nitty gritty of law, you know, mm-hmm. how does this work? Where's the finer detail, you know, split off and, and make something, you know, wrong or illegal versus, you know, okay or acceptable or justified. So like, this is a great example of that. Did Worf truly do anything wrong? Again, as we've discussed, I think he was justified in what he did. Whether or not he was been set up, I think he. This is the Kobayashi Maru situation. Yeah. This is how he tried solving it. It backfired in his face, but not because he didn't try or wasn't intelligent or wasn't making decisions. Um, that's why I feel like O'Brien being like, "I wouldn't have done it," being like, "I mean, really? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't quite trust O'Brien's judgment there. I feel like Worf was right. Um, but you know, I've never had to be in those situations either." You know, how much do you just start shooting off your valuable, you know, <laughs> your torpedoes? How many torpedoes do we have? <laughs> we only have 10, and I shoot off all nine that I have left because I think I got a great shot. That's also a stupid move. Um, so, yeah. I don't, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, Star Trek is. It, 
loves a law procedural. I think every major Trek show has done at least one. Um, there have been uh, some shows that do a lot. I think I think Next Generation did um, a couple of them. We had the Measure of the Man one with Data proving his rights. We also had the Conspiracy one with Simon Tarsus and being a spy. And that's when that Judge Admiral Satie comes on and tries to take Picard down and she loses. Um, This is is Deep Space Nine doing it. Uh, Deep Space Nine did one also with Jadzia. We saw that early on in season um, one. Yeah, season one. Voyager. It was like episode three or four. That was really early. Voyager does it. I think Voyager does it more than any other show because Voyager did it with the holographic doctor, um, Tom Paris, and uh, Chief Engineer Bolana Torres. So I think they got the most with three. And then um, I know Discovery does it at least once. Strange New Worlds just did it, and that was their first time. And it was a fantastic episode. It's called Ad Astra Paraspera, and you should go watch it. It it was fantastic. I just, yeah, can't say enough great things about that one. We'll we'll talk about that some other time. Great episode. Um, right. Yeah, they've all done it. Like I said, you know, Enterprise did theirs. Um, yeah, so Star Trek loves a good law procedural show. Um, they try right. their best to kind of like, without having to really nail down Federation law, Starfleet protocol, so forth and so on, they right. they give you a lot of things that you can still work with. And so that's right. what I really like about it, because after so many decades, you can kind of begin to get an overall sense of what the code of law for um, for Starfleet is anyway. Right. What code of law it is for like the greater Federation and you know, any particular planet, and it's still murky on that, but for the Federation, yeah, you get a pretty solid, solid, uh, take, I should say. Right. By the way, the episode Dax was episode eight, I just looked it up. Okay. So, yeah, anyway, you go. Now, I just want to give, uh, uh, you know, all the accolades, and gotta pay some attention here to, um, Captain Sisko, Avery Brooks. I think he does a great job here, just really, um, Working as Worf's advocate. Now, it's might be interesting to note that originally when this episode was pitched, it was supposed to be Cisco who was in the hot seat, not Worf. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think Worf would have been defending. I don't, I don't think it was a simple matter of like a role reversal or anything like that. Yeah. But it was originally pitched that it was supposed to be um, uh, Cisco, not Worf. They decided instead to go with Worf because. Um, as I said earlier, Worf was already on the outs with uh, Klingon culture and Klingon Empire. And so right. it was kind of like Worf was retreating to what he felt was a safe bet by being, you know, aligned with the Federation and with Starfleet. And so they really wanted to kind of, you know, slap him around a little bit, basically, and make him, you know, kind of test who he is and his understanding right. of who he is and what he wants and so forth. And I think that's another reason why we get those lines at the end where he's like realizing that he shouldn't have taken the mission. And, you know, again, moving forward b- beyond thinking as just a military individual, but more like what's the next step beyond that, which is what we want our captains to be someone who can lay down their life for others and so forth. Right. But anyway, Cisco does a great job in this episode. I loved his scenes. His back and forth with Chip Hawk was great. Um, I particularly loved when he had Chipak on stand on the stand, and um, he's just, you know, isn't it possible that the Klingons would lie to us, or isn't it in your best interest sometimes lying? He's like, oh no, you know, like I, I would say that we're not friends, but we're not enemies either. It's like ah, you know, like the <laughs> the, the finger wagging and the you know right. the long drawn out. I loved every bit of that. Um, right. I think that Avery Brooks really just kind of just completely uh, dove into this role uh, in in this particular episode. I think he did a great job here. And again, seeing him not only defending Worf, but also mentoring Worf, I I also liked. Because we didn't really see a lot of that in Next Generation, I felt. You know, Picard is very... He's he's very lofty at times. He kind of is so far above and removed from his crew. It's like everybody... 
wants Picard to be proud of them, right? I feel like everybody's always looking up to him and aspiring right. to be more like him or whatever. Whereas Cisco is much more, he's in the mix with his people. He understands, he or he tries to understand right. his people. And he very much wants to, yeah, guide, mentor them into being their best selves and into better roles. And that's, I loved when he was telling Worf, you know, and that's why in spite of everything, you'll make a hell of a captain someday. It's like, He's right. Like, I would love to see Captain Morf. I would love to see what that would eventually, you know, mature into. Um, but right. yeah, he, I think he does a great job in this. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a great point about and that the whole Picard Cisco dynamic we've talked about multiple, multiple times. They're like, I mean, Cisco went with Worf to the Klingon homeworld for various things. You mean Picard? Oh, went yeah, with, you're... Picard went with. Oh, I'm sorry. Worf. My Picard yes, went Picard. with Worf. Yes. Yes. Cisco has definitely been more like, come on, Worf, like, we do the thing. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm rah, rah, cheering for him, uh, mentoring him a, a bit. Yeah, Picard is more like, yeah, lofty, stand above, and. He's rah, like rah, the rah, rah, regal rah, rah, rah. statesman. The regal statesman <laughs> yeah. who comes down and makes an eloquent speech, and everybody's just in yeah. awe that the statesman would even speak on your behalf, let alone exactly. be here, and you're just supposed right. to. Oh my God! You know, Jean Luc yeah. said something, and then that's oh yeah. he he was right. Move on. Yeah, Cisco uh, yeah, is he's there with you in the trenches, man. He's battling with right. you for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this kind of what I'm thinking of is that Cis uh, Worf is not going to be a captain of the type of like Picard. The Defiant is a perfect vessel for him to be in, in charge of. Yes. He's not the flagship going around doing diplomatic missions. He's there to defend the station and to perform uh, rel any sort of duty that requires a starship available. In this case, we need someone to defend a line of transport ships with a humanitarian mission. Or we need to go out to the Gamma Quadrant through the wormhole. Uh, to defend something or other. It's, they're not really meant to be diplomats when they're on the ship. And if they need diplomats, then Cisco can step in. But Worf is there to perform the militaristic uh, side of things, which is great because that's exactly who he is. So I, I like the idea that he's kind of like the de facto captain of the Defiant now. Um, Cisco is the captain of the station and of the Defiant in, uh, in a general sense, but Worf is the one who gets the more hands-on dirty work with the mm -hmm. defiant and that that's a great role for him um so i look forward to him continuing to have that role i i hope he continues to have that role and that's mm -hmm. what he continues to do um i was looking at the wikipedia article here and there was someone who apparently critiqued this episode of like how did they know that Worf would be in charge of the ship and i'm like by this point it's pretty clear that Worf is like i mean he's living on the ship right like if anyone knows he's living on the ship well, and he's the one who usually gets command then it wouldn't be hard to set him up for a defiant. Well, and, let's, defiant and let's not forget that the, that the Federation, in my opinion, is the worst at keeping secrets. Like they, <laughs> right. they just don't do a great job of hiding things at all. And, you know, um, yes, Worf does live on the defiant full time. They also, they would, they would have known the Federation, especially in the hope of furthering cooperation down the line with the Klingon empire, would have relayed certain information to them. And remember, Worf was already given a title before the 100% separation of Klingon and Federation uh, interests here, right? Right. So it's not beyond the scope to think that they were at least keeping tabs on the only Klingon to be, to be in Starfleet and also to be um, who's turned down Gowron, you know? And... Um, I also think that, you know, we see Cisco put Worf in command of the mission and he put him in command and the mission was still several days away. We see Worf, he's in he's in Quark's bar for a little bit. He's fighting with Dax in the uh, holodeck a little bit, you know. So he's yeah. clearly got some downtime before the mission actually starts. Is it impossible to think that the intelligence network wouldn't have relayed to them that this major convoy, which they were clearly dead set on attacking, so they had to know about the convoy and know there was right. going to be someone protecting it. Was it so far beyond the scope for them to be like, we found out it's this ship, it's going to be commanded by this officer, they're leaving out on this day? Of course not. Of course they could figure that stuff out. Come on. Yeah, exactly. That's Yeah, I fully agree. 
Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's the real question is, I guess for me, I don't think of the Klingons as the type to set up some sort of complex conspiracy of setup like this. Mm-hmm. That's more a Romulan type thing than it is a Klingon thing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious that we don't know the details about how it came to be. We also don't know how the battle ended because the all it, it, as soon as war fires on this ship, that's the end of the battle as far as we know it. I mean, I'm, maybe if I go back and listen, they'll say something else about how it ended. But from what I remember, like that's the end of the battle. If, if they yeah, as, essentially, because I, I believe that was the 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 end goal. It wasn't so much the destruction of the Cardassian convoy as it was um, right. kind of obliterating the Federation's credibility. And once right. that once that transport ship was uh, destroyed, that was mission accomplished. And I think the Klingons yes. just bugged out from there because they got what they wanted. That, yes. was, that was it. That's exactly right. So, I also feel that's also the explanation for why Worf, even if Worf hadn't been in charge and Cisco had been in charge, but Cisco made the same mistake, they still would have got the same result. Yeah. This this courtroom drama is specifically to Worf, but the overall conspiracy of of a ship that has a bunch of dead people on it. Uh, that that could have worked against Kira, you know. What if Kira had been in charge? Um, what was what the Klingons did was set up a pattern and then manipulate someone recognizing the pattern and then causing them to make a decision yes. that backfired on them on, on a public relations level. Again, I feel I still feel like this is the casualties of war, you know, like the, I like the. During World War Two and World War One, there were merchant vessels who were actually smuggling, you know, military stuff, and that isn't what the Cardassians are apparently doing here. I'm not saying that that's the what the plot of the episode is. My point is, civilian vessels have been fired upon, and that has caused tragedies. But there have there have been many times in history where that was justified on behalf of the people making those decisions. Like, hey, you're you're not just a you know a civilian military vessel. And so it's just a civilian vessel. You're a military vessel, um, on some capacity. So anyway, point being that um, I think that the courtroom drama was hands down just amazing with Ron Canada playing the part of Chapak. Yeah, great stuff. While I might have some nitpicks about how it went down, uh, how some things occurred, and I wish they again could have made the the trial feel a little bit more. More, more oomph. Like there's only yeah. one judge. Like, a little, a a little more complicated, judges. right? You know, yeah, you know, and I will, judges. I will agree with you there too. I thought that it was strange that we had just one judge presiding over this, especially with the implication being this was a very important decision being made, and it right. was going to have you know again far-reaching you know yeah fallout here from sending this Federation officer, because regardless of his, you know, he's a Klingon, not a Klingon, whatever, he's still a Federation officer. He's a Starfleet officer and right. and, and going to his death. That's what he would be doing. Yeah. He'd be going to his death. So, right. yeah, the fact that there wasn't a panel, I thought that was a bit strange. I would yeah. have been more interested if they had, you know, maybe there had been like two, three other uh, judges sitting there with Talara to help right. make this decision and to have poke they some always holes. used the bell, the gong like bell. Have they always done that? I'm sure they have, but I'm just um they've they've used it. other things that were similar, but essentially yes. There's no there's no gavel in Starfleet apparently. It's all some kind of well, I remember of... in that Dax episode, the um the uh the the Bajoran judge old lady, she used like a rock, which was really yeah. I like the rock she used. The Klingons have a a similar thing. It's like a giant uh, stone ball, but it's being held by this like talon claw thing. And they don't so much grab that as they grab the arm of the talon and pick the whole <laughs> thing up and slam it. And it sparks. It shoots marks. It's so cool. I was like, I Klingon want that so bad. <laughs> right. I'm Klingons telling you, man, the, the- Best but, thing Star Trek did was the Klingons. Yeah, I, they're fascinating. They're such a great, great if, sci-fi I, culture. That that scene alone in the movie uh, The Undiscovered Country is great, where the judge, <laughs> he's way up high, and he's sentencing um, McCoy and Kirk. And they even did the judge right. So, like, 
he again he's sitting up way up high and he's got this huge like shroud cloak thing over him so you can't <laughs> you can't see his face really you can see like right. just his nose and mouth and this long super white beard that's hanging out right <laughs> and he's got this really like hardcore gravelly voice when he's sentencing them and he's like I yeah. sentence you for the rest of your lives and and then he raises yeah. this clawed talon thing and bam and it's just huge sparks <laughs> flying off you know like you got one of those sticks you're trying to start a fire with it's just like oh, yeah. bam 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 and it just sparks everywhere and i was like you got this was awesome you guys did a great job yeah. and, I, and i will admit i have looked for that thing I, I, I was like if i'm gonna buy anything from trek it will be that can't find it. Can't find it. That I guess list could... is actually second on the list, huh? Oh, yeah. You, when you see it and you see it in yeah. action, you'll know I why. I'll look up a clip. I'll look it up after oh, we're done. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Do that on on YouTube. If anybody's interested, you should probably Google the scene of uh, use the words uh, "Kirk is sentenced to Rura Pente," which is the name okay. of the Klingon prison colony. Rura Pente. That's R U R A. Uh, P-E-N-T-H-E so there it's two words um, it, gotcha. that should be enough to get you to the scene where he is sentenced and uh, you can watch you can either watch the whole trial you can watch just that little bit whatever but it's a great scene and at first I was like is that like the judge is he wearing a glove is that what that is but it's it's clearly like a whole talent thing mm. and he just bam bam great great stuff <laughs> Very good, very good. Well, overall, um, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I, I enjoyed this episode because um, we do get to see kind of a challenge to Worf having to understand that um, he can't just isolate himself and think of himself as just this kind of lone Klingon warrior who can only attack under certain circumstances and whatever else, that he needs to start thinking of himself as more. And especially right. if there's any aspiration in him to be more than just a strategic operations officer or anything else. If he wants to be a captain, he's going to have to start really thinking and acting like a captain. And right. um, I love seeing the mentorship between him and uh, Cisco really kind of solidify here. We saw it a little bit when they, when we first saw the introduction of Worf to Deep Space Nine, and Cisco's like, "I feel like we can, you know, there's something we can do with you. I need you." Uh, you know, basically saying we don't waste good around here, so you know we're going to figure out something that we can do for you. Um, right. Of course, Odo's always a delight. He wasn't in the episode much, but he's in it just enough to give you like, we're gonna get this figured out. Odo's investigating. There's got to be some kind of major plot. We're we're gonna get this. So definitely <laughs> yeah. loved all of that, and I did love the perspective of, um, you know, the cameras in everybody's faces. We we're talking to Quark, and Quark is talking to us when they're doing the interviews. O'Brien is telling us from his perspective being on the bridge, what he would have done. Same with Jadzia, what what was going on, what they were seeing, and so forth. And they're talking directly to us while they're giving their analysis. I thought it was right. a great way to film this episode. Very unique way to film an episode. Um, I don't know if that would work like long-term. Like I don't know if I could imagine a whole show like this, where we're kind of like flitting around from character to character and getting like this weird kind of fourth wall breaking aside perspective <laughs> for multiple characters but um it'd be interesting i know another show that that did the a set, the fourth wall breaking a lot was um house of cards which is on netflix the the um kevin spacey show back before the spectacular fall of kevin spacey yeah um that was a great show uh as well that did that so but i think that was the first time i ever saw anything like that and then they did it here so yeah yeah, it was fun to see those little moments. <laughs> so what do you think are your major takeaways from this episode? What would you say is something that, at least one thing that stands out in your mind as something they could have done better? We've talked a lot about some of the good things that we like, but you said there were some things you could nitpick. But if there's like just one thing you really, really wish they had done better, be that filming or character development or whatever it is, what do you feel like it is for you? actually kind of hard in some ways uh i guess i'll i'll say this as well early on in the episode after the first courtroom scene um chapak is it yeah, mm -hmm. same. Uh, he comes to 
to Cisco while they're walking in the promenade, and he basically lays out his whole purpose for doing all this. You know, this will ruin the Federation's reputation. It'll force mm-hmm. you guys to pull back and give us chance to make military advances. All on this PR stunt. And I feel like, while it sets up the stakes of the episode, I also feel like it's kind of dumb to go up to your enemy, your opponent, and be like, here's all my plans. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Now, it, it definitely comes off as, like, a power play. Like, this is how confident I am in what I'm going to do, is I'm going to tell you how it goes. Um, and it, it's why the character is charismatic and likable. But I also felt like, uh, why don't we have, like, Dax and, like, Kira talking about what they think the problems of... Like, our, why, why aren't our characters working out this as opposed to him bragging about it? But whatever. Again, he comes off as charismatic. Sets up the the guy as the lawyer they have to go up against. So I'm not, and it makes it personal him and Cisco talking about Worf and yeah. what's going on. So I get it. I think I that was I, I think that was the whole point. Was it was the, like you said to come off as more of a power move, um, right? But isn't that also like villainy 101 to or the villains to come that's, up and monologue their yeah? Their I guess that's exactly what my critique of this episode is. In order to make the plot of the episode work and move forward and have things happen and it be cinematic, I feel like the reality of the of what's happening, my my suspension of disbelief had to was strained a little bit more than I that I wanted it to be. Um, again, using a few good men as an example of what feels more authentic as a courtroom drama. Um, I feel like, yes, I think the Star Trek courtroom episodes are very memorable and um, have very interesting storylines. But I also feel like these are also the same critiques I have of, of like the of the the data one. You know, we have a relatively small courtroom. the The arguments that are being made about data and him being alive versus not alive are it just feels a little bit strained in the moment, but again, it's, it's, they're, they're doing something unique. You know, this is, this is a futuristic society we're trying mm-hmm. to present. So I, I give Star Trek the benefit of the doubt. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my summary. The plot in order to make the plot work and move forward, they strain some of my suspension of disbelief, uh, which is unfortunate, but, um, well, yeah. I, well, I will say that the virtue of this show is, you know, one, it, it is 30 years old. So a lot of the writers, directors and so forth who worked on this show went on to do uh, a lot of other great TV shows. And I think they took a lot of that to heart as well, because there have been other shows that have come after these that did procedurals like this, that did these kind of law episodes. And they were fantastic. And I'm thinking, of course, of Battlestar Galactica. Um, the reboot that was um, written and directed by uh, Ronald D. Moore, who was one of our main writers, directors, and so forth here for Deep Space Nine. And there is an excellent uh, uh, trial episode that is done. I think it's, it's I think it's the first episode of season three of Battlestar Galactica. And okay. Gaius Baltar is put on trial. And there we do see a tribunal. Uh, Admiral Adama is one of the judges that's going to, you know, be deciding this. But he's like one of right. five judges. He's not he's not the sole judge and jury here. Even the president, who you would think would be a judge, isn't. But she is on trial. She does have to give testimony. And several other right. people do. And it is, it's a remarkable episode. And um, actually... Yeah, I think it's like I think it's at the at the end of the third season. Now that I think about it, because um, then there's some things that happen that yeah rolls into the the season finale and gives us our preview of what's to come in the fourth season. So yeah, great, great show. Also, um, I own it. I'll probably be watching that soon as well because it's been a while since I've done a Battlestar rewatch. Um, but yeah. Uh, they get into that more. You know, there's uh, a lot more that has to do with the actual, like, protocol and procedure and what law we're going to follow and why and, and justifying your case and, and all this. It, it's all in there, and it's way more complicated, and the episode does take a longer time, but they 
give you everything and you don't have to worry about anything else that's going on. There's no B-plots. There's nothing. The whole episode is about the trial of Gaius Baltar and it's done very well. Um, right. So yeah, I think they took a lot of what, you, like, there, obviously some people probably have the same critiques and they just kind of like kept it in their mind and then when they got the chance to do the next thing, they right. did it better. So that's what I like about shows like Deep Space Nine because it's clear that you know we can trace back their influence on more contemporary shows like Battlestar, like The Expanse, um, so forth, and see how they kind of came from what was already done here. Um, right. And it just sucks that Deep Space Nine was so you know passed over, looked over for such a <laughs> long time, and only right. fairly recently, I'd say probably within the last ten years. Has it really gotten um, a second look from a lot of people? So, gotcha. But all right, any uh, final thoughts as we wrap up this episode? A bit shorter than we we've, we've done the last couple, but we're we're trying here with our time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's. Uh, I think I said my piece on this one. All right. Well, guys, I think that's going to be it for us. Of course, as always, you can find us and follow us and listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. You can also check out our uh, live episodes on YouTube. You can just go there and search again for The Fire Caves and we'll pop right up. You can see us there live every week or you can just watch any episode that we have done because, of course, they're just saved there until I get bored and take them down, um, which I haven't done yet. So you're in luck. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and take a look, watch them. Go ahead and give us any uh, thoughts, questions, comments you've got. We'd love to hear from you and answer anything that you um, have for us. Uh, other than that, you can watch all Trek on Paramount and Paramount Plus. Uh, you should do so. It's There's some great stuff out there, and we're going to get into a lot of that too. And you don't want to be caught lacking. So go ahead, watch it. But until next time, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.